Okay, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and everything else in between, y'all know what time it is, as you should at this point, we're 102 episodes in, this is the Football Misfits, I am your host LV, aka Paper Pronto, aka Marini's Black Bottom, aka Buck Nasty, it is the summertime, so I am also aka El Pistolero, and you guys no, it would not be the Football Misfits without the host with the mostest, the man who gets it done. You've seen his work on the gram. You've heard him on this pod before. I am talking of no none other than Ronnie. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. What's going on for the one time, everybody? I hope you guys are staying strong and being brave. I certainly am in this New York City heat. And that is a fact. Of course, uh, we would not be the football misfits without our man at the data desk, the richest member of the pod, Spencer. He is not here today, but have no fear. With my hiatus, I brought along a very special guest that we have had on this pod a couple of times. I think this will be his our fifth collaboration with him. He deserves the five-timers jacket that has not been made yet. We'll get there at some point. As always, he brings the good energy the good vibes, and the warmth of a campfire. I'm talking about the one, the only, Sebastian North of Campfire Football. Sebastian, say what's good for the one time. What's good for the one time, a.k.a. Ricordino here. And guys, uh, as always, really excited. <laughs> Actually, now now I can get, you know, a Footy Misfits jersey and put five stars right on the right above the right above the crest. Is that, <laughs> that what I can do now? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There you go, five timer. Hey, not many, not many joined that club, and you know it means a lot. Always to have you on, as always. Um, now, obviously, last week, Ronnie Spencer, our good friend Maria Isabel, and a first timer, uh, our homegirl Charlotte, gave us a nice little, if you will, preview of the Euro. Um, I know Sebastian, you did the the same on episode, I think, one hundred and nine of Campfire Football. Uh, so since that time, obviously, the Euro has been going on. There's been a lot to talk about, a lot to watch, obviously. Uh, shall we get started? Bring it back for the one, you know, for the first time in quite some time, the the coveted, the uh, heralded favorite match of the week, Ronnie? I think it's a perfect time to bring back match of the week. Let's go. Sebastian, your favorite match of this week's, or I guess your most notable match for whatever reason you prefer, of uh, the match day one of the women's Euro. Well, so I'm a France fan. So that first half today was quite, quite nice, but I, I, I'm going to go with one of those neutral games that actually captivates you. One of the things that's great about international football, two teams that you know nothing about, and they actually serve up a belter. And I think probably no surprise to people that's uh, Switzerland versus Portugal. Uh, the Swiss racing out to a 2-0 lead in four and a half minutes looked really out of ideas, out of ways to do anything. Somehow, they turn it completely around in the second half, score two goals. And that game was mental. I mean, it was it was wild. There was lots of fouls. There was just two very contrasting styles. And it was nothing but a surprise because you, I just didn't expect what I saw from either team. And I think that's something that has been sort of a recurring theme. So that's what I that's what I would go with is the two matches that really got me. Excellent. I mean, uh one thing I will say about the 
the Portugal uh, Switzerland match was, uh, and I said this off the pod, those celebrations. I love the passion that the Euro has brought this summer. Just one match they gone, every goal feels like a final, uh, and we, I think we saw that uh, in the Portugal match, especially when Portugal equalized late or midway through the second half. Woo! Energy in that place was incredible. So I would also say the opening goal for the entire match when um, Kumba So scored, she ripped it, and then she's running around celebrating, and then it's like she won the College World Series. It just dogpiled on her. <laughs> I forget who it was that pushed her, but like someone pushed her to the ground. They were all just jumping on her like, wow. I, I love the enthusiasm. I love the energy. I think I'm going to go with the match that started it all. Um, England and Austria. Uh, this match, of course, is the opening match. Everyone's going to be tuned in. I had my reasons for tuning in. Austria made it to the semifinals of the last Euro. See if they could build off that momentum. England, of course, they're favorites. I love the fact that for the most part of the first half, um, Fran Kirby, who's been out with injury, she looked like she hasn't missed a step. She was also instrumental in the Beth Mead goal to open the scoring there. And the goal itself, the first instance of VAR ever at the Women's Zero where she chips it. No one's sure if it crossed the line or not, but it ends up being a goal. They go through all the video technology and stuff like that. I will say for England, though, in the second half, they kind of took their foot off the gas and Austria kind of took advantage of it. Zinsberger for Austria, she was keeping England out of it. And especially Ellen White, where I felt like when she had all the opportunities there were um, there was to be had, she couldn't finish. Like, she definitely had a couple of headed chances in the first half, and she was just not lucky on the day. But on the other end as well, um, I forget who from Austria, but um, Erps came up with a huge save late on to preserve the clean sheet and the opening dub. I think England got to tighten things up a little bit. Um, Ellen White needs to complete those chances, and England could have a good run at it because their next opponent is Norway, and they could easily expose their defense, and those chances for Ellen White might not even come. So England-Austria, my favorite You guys think it'll help England to not play at a stadium at the size of Old Trafford or or like Wembley every match? Because – Look, I, the men's side, they play all their games in, in, in these giant stadiums. And, and I'm not saying this is b- a bad experience for them, but the occasion looked huge. I mean, the, the pressure on the players to right. get over the line and just win that first game felt massive. Now, they're going to be playing in grounds that are uh, slightly smaller until you know the final in Wembley. So that's sort of what I, I kind of looked at it as, okay, survive the first game. Yes, you're right. Norway is going to be, I think that's... That's a crunch match, but I don't see England failing to get out of the group, even if they lose to Norway, which uh, Norway have to be in that group of top six teams that can win the competition, in my opinion. I mean, they yeah. were outstanding, and their top goal scorer didn't even score. So No, that, that's, a, that's a good shout. When I was looking at the venues for the Euro, I was, one, surprised to see that Old Trafford was one that was, you know, I, I mean, I understand the idea of the first match uh, for the for the English uh, being at such a you know prestigious stadium, but I figured that it would be used in the later rounds, like just how Lem- Wembley is for the final, just for the fact of the capacity compared to the other venues. And one thing the English media know how to do is 
really put the pressure on the team's back and, uh, you know, for better or for worse, normally for worse. And we saw that. Um, and then another thing, uh, it seems that, you know, with some of the matches that I really enjoyed came where the crowds were not necessarily that, you know, that, that big, you know, certainly not the 80,000 or whatever that Old Trafford holds. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think that it definitely could have hurt them. That's a, that's a good shout. And, I mean, even just for the energy as a whole, even, you know, for someone like us, you know, watching it on TV, my match of the week, the, you could call it electric matchup between Sweden and the Netherlands, the defending champions versus for some, uh, a team favorite to, to win it all. Uh, that match was at Bramall Lane, and I read that it, it broke some sort of record, uh, became the uh, a match not involving a host nation at the Women's Euros. Uh, so they had the record attendance for that, which was somewhere around 21,000. And the energy was, I mean, although it wasn't a sold out crowd, it was, the energy was pretty electric in that building. And it was Sweden who would, I think, do all the right things at first. And that was, I think, for for one, limiting uh, Vivian Midema, uh, who is a monster, as we all know, um, kind of smothering her whenever she'd drop in to receive passes and try to be a creative outlet. Um, Sweden would go ahead first through Joanna Anderson midway through the first half. And it looked like they their game plan was working, which you like to see. What you like to see even more in football, aside from someone's game plan working, is what does the manager and the team do to adjust to first half game plans, whether or not they're going in your favor or not. And the Dutch did exactly that whether it was strictly uh, the manager or whether the players figured something out. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Midema, of course, uh, as the elite goal scorer she is, found herself as a, you know the creative outlet and something that she's been doing more and more, I guess, for play, uh, in playing for Arsenal. And she did exactly that. She was able to find the space, whether it was a tactical shift by Sweden, which allowed her the space, or whether it was Netherlands kind of getting in from behind and giving Midema the options and... She was able to set up a goal in the 52nd minute to Jill Ward after dummying a player way on the sidelines, similar to how Gareth Bale did Mark Bartra in that Copa del Rey final way back when. But the way she was pulling the strings was magical to see. You love a performance like that from a, from a forward. I always love to see a number nine just being creative, uh, obviously, as a Spurs fan. That's something that I get kind of often. Um, but yeah, Midema, the standout player in that match, the match would finish 1-1, but enjoyable football enjoyable football and good stuff to see a great tone setter for match day one as were the matches that you guys picked um that game in particular i thought it might have gotten out of reach for netherlands because and we spoke about this before we hit the record button there was a bit of a clash of a trio of dutch players between the goalkeeper um sorry vanden um vanden vienen now is, is that how you pronounce it Van Vinendal, <laughs> um, Stephanie Van de Graat, and the third one, I believe it was um, Lynn Wilms. Like the three of them were yeah. all a part of one clash of bodies, and it left um, Van Vinendal out of the game. At first, it looked like Van de Graat was the one who was heavily shaken up, but it was the goalkeeper. And then once they brought in the sub goalkeeper, Van Damselaar. Sweden tested her real quick. They did end up getting that first half goal from Anderson, but in the second half, and it's been a theme of these Euros, and we'll get to it, um, momentum shifts between first half and second half. Like, 
And I think that's what we saw in the games we all picked. And for you, Sebastian, in the Portugal-Switzerland game, Switzerland, they had the game locked after five minutes, it seemed. And then in the second half, Portugal, a team who isn't supposed to even be there, was like, oh, a complete 180, they rescued the point. And now those two teams lead the group that features these two teams, the Netherlands and Sweden. Um, the first half, like I said, Sweden, and then second half, the Netherlands just came, woke up. And then in the opener, England had most of the uh, momentum throughout the game, but Austria really picked things up in the second half. So if there's an early theme from all the match day one, it's a shift in momentum all across the board, it seemed. Um, I think Germany, Germany is probably the only team that did not, that nothing changed for them from first to second half. Germany ran riot on Denmark, and everyone had their doubts because it's not the same Germany of old where they took up eight European championships instead of diversing it to all across Europe. It's a younger team, for sure. The um, first goal scorer, Alina McGull of Bayern, she's only, what, 27? And then the 20-year-old, Lena Oberdorf, she was pretty okay. And then the experience is always going to be there for Germany. Alexandra Pop scored the fourth goal, and she's been with the German program for the better part of 11, 12 years. So we were all kind of sleeping on Germany, but they're here. You heard all of that and sound like a statement, a statement match. Letting them know, we, we ain't forget. We're here. Don't forget about us. Before we continue on with the rest of the um, group stage matches, um, I feel like we have to talk about the story that shook the competition before it even began. It was first reported that on the day before the opening match, Alexia Puteas had a knee sprain. And then it was actually first reported by the data that Spence that it was a torn ACL and that she would miss the European Championship. When I tell you guys that my day was fucked up after hearing that, I was down in the dumps for real. It's one of the players, if not the player, that you would want to see. It's the Ballon d'Or winner. She's a beast for Barcelona. All the comparisons to Messi, which I think are adequate for her to miss out on the competition. It just really hurts. I was definitely upset. The thought was Spain were going to, you know, crash and burn without Alexia. But if the Finland game is any proof of anything, <laughs> um, despite giving up that early goal in the first minute, which by the way, I'm like, all right, yep. Tell the pack it in. It's, it's not happening. It's, it's just not happening. They ended up putting four goals past them. And... Other than the last goal, which was a penalty, they were all headers. Paredes scored the opening goal to equalize. Mapi Leon fed Bonmanti a header for the, the eventual game winner, and then the third goal was scored by Lucia Garcia. So they're playing this for Alexia Tins La Roja. You basically said it, said it all. Uh, one thing I will add about Alexia um, – for me, I think the disappointing thing, and, and obviously well wishes to her in, in a speedy recovery, um, as much as, you know, she is such a face of the, of the game and, and, and has been, you know, on the field class personified and it's just enjoyable to watch. I think what sucks, and I mean, I, I could be wrong, this might not be eating her, but she might not be thinking about this. But for me, 
after having such a season on the club level uh, for Barcelona and then coming up short in that Champions League final, I'm sure that she was burning to get, you know, on the play for the national team and just show everybody that, hey, listen, we had, you know, my, I'm, our, our, my season on a club level fell short, but I, I came to play and I'm sure that she would have provided that and more. Um, so I guess that sucks. It's just disappointing to see that. And I guess we'll have to wait for her recovery, you know, to, to see her play again. And with regards to Spain, it's giving shades of maybe uh, in a much less tragic sense, Denmark uh, losing Christian Eriksen. And, you know, it took that and more to, to kind of let folks know that this, this team is not all one player or run by one player and is much better than just that one player. It's a team game. And so I'm hopeful to see uh, Spain and they've already kind of shown it, as you said, in the first, first match day, just to see how they can kind of pick themselves up from losing a star like that and to see what they can do with it. That's actually a perfect shout. The next game is against Germany. That should be a cracking game. And then they round up against Denmark, a team that shouldn't be taken lightly, even though they got washed for nothing. Um, and I still think that they are favorites to go through and probably at least reach the final, if not win it, because of all of the talent that they do have. Hopeful for the best for Spain. They're definitely one of the favorites. We Basically, we saw a few teams that, have a lot and we've got to kind of get through the group stage to see how they deal with a few different scenarios but Spain what they answered really well was okay without Hermoso because don't forget Jenny Hermoso is also injured and Alexia Puteas it, apparently the question was well they're not going to score goals you know if it was the men's side losing their two center forwards they absolutely would not score goals but yeah. Irene Paredes went ahead and did her best. And she basically said here, Carlos Puyol, hold my sangria. I'm going to go ahead and uh, <laughs> head this in. It, it was so reminiscent. She just came flying in. And look, they scored three goals with their heads. I don't know for sure. But I imagine, j just like any quality professional team, they're going to focus on being really dangerous on set pieces. I mean, they were very scary from every corner kick they took. So if you lose yeah. your 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 two forwards that are like so integral in connecting and creating and scoring goals, well, guess what? You have other ways. You know, Papi Leon is I mean she she she's a monster as well. They have something fun, funny enough. It, it, I know it, it's it's funny. It just doesn't look like it as much, but the men's team is genuinely smaller than the vast majority of the teams they play against. It's a lot of shorter players, really good on the deck. This Spain women's team has some tall, strong women that, you know, can win aerial battles. So, I, I don't know. I think set pieces are going to be huge for every team in this competition. They, they they always are. But Spain, it looked to me like they've, you know, they've thought about that. And then, of course, their shortest player, Bonmati, scores like <laughs> the best header we might see this whole tournament. No, good shout. Good shout. It's, I mean, a set piece in some ways gives everyone on the team an opportunity to score. And that can be if they can master that and, you know, use that to their advantage. With that height, I just saw uh, looking through just the lineup and some of the heights, we've got five foot ten, five foot seven. And so they're sort of up there. And yeah, if they can take advantage, there you are. There's goals. I mean, they got four and uh, three with, ju with just their, their heads there, which is that's pretty impressive, I got to say. <laughs> So that's actually Group B. Um, look at us, football misfits. Um, we do not go in alphabetical order. So A, 
<laughs> we already spoke about England, um, their journey against Austria. Northern Ireland took a defeat to Norway for one. They got their first ever goal at the Euros. Julie Nielsen on a perfectly played ball from Rachel Furness, the Liverpool player. But uh, even though Norway put four on Northern Ireland's head top, they did have a better second half. They got the goal, but they couldn't get the result. You guys don't really think Northern Ireland or Austria are going to beat England and Norway out of the top two, right? No, I, I, I really don't. I think Northern Ireland, they have to show up. They have to do what they did in the second half of the game. You know, And, and I was impressed with how they played, considering a good amount of the team is semi-professional, right? And then Austria... I just don't know who's going to score goals for them. Like, I thought they played well. They did things, but it's them against Northern Ireland should be interesting. But I, yeah, Norway to me are way, way too good. They, the, the England-Norway game is one I've, I've circled from a long time ago. I was like, that's going to be, that's going to be a great cracking game. And it's big, you know, for, for both teams. Winning the group in this competition might be really crucial to setting yourself up for the next round because there might be some bogey teams that get second place. So, you know, you get to a quarterfinal, you're all of a sudden playing a team that surprised everybody. Deal with them, you're in the semis. So it's going to be a huge game. Um, I'm really excited for it. I I don't know how well England are going to deal with that three prongs of Guru Wright and Carolina Graham Hansen and Edda Hagerberg. I don't know exactly how they're going to deal with that. It's going to be really, really fun to see. So that that's that's where I look at this group in terms of what's got to happen, what teams have to do. Yeah, and off the pod, Sebastian also had a good point. You know, for those teams that are true underdogs that, you know, have made it and you can't expect much from them, obviously. Uh, you also mentioned that they had, I think, um, and, and more than 10 players that were out working, working part-time jobs. They're not expecting to go make a deep run, a dark horse sort of run in this tournament. But you, you, you mentioned off the pod, uh, as long as they can leave it all on the field, I think they can be happy with that. And, with, you know, following that path, incredible things can happen. Obviously, uh, in their first match, that's not what happened. But a quick little shout, the goal scorer, Julie Nelson, uh, with that goal, became the oldest player in the Women's Euro to score a goal. 37 years and 33 days. So, I mean, things like that, you got to just take with take it for what Props. it is. And, and that's, awesome. that's why they probably celebrated all crazy like that, which <laughs> we love to see. I, I started jumping up and going crazy. So, you know, you got to go same. for the ride and, and enjoy it, you know. And so, um, but yeah, they're, they're out of here. I mean, they, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> you know, good luck to you, but they're, they're, they're out of here. Um, it sucks that you got to play Norway, a team that's deadly. Um, like that in your first match but i mean at least they got the goal and you can you can enjoy that and, and celebrate it for what it is and that pretty much will wrap up group a uh, we actually already spoke a lot about group c when we were talking about match of the week i guess the surprise is that portugal and switzerland are one two right now but that's by virtue of it being two two um if it stays this way come match day three that'll be some different shit yeah. Um, the two favorites, the defending champion and the heavy favorite, out. Wow. So let's just look at this group picture. Let's simmer in it. Wait for match day two because that's definitely going to change. Yeah. Um, and you guys mentioned it during your guys' match of the week. And, Ronnie, I know you spoke a bit about the momentum shifting and 
it just speaks to the overall level of competitiveness just off of that match day one that this group has and has shown its teams adjusting to one another, uh, finding the spots where they can attack and, you know, playing to their advantages and hoping to play to the opponent's disadvantage. Um, and we're seeing it's a tale of two halves, complete momentum shifts from uh, in both games. And uh, for me, those kind of things just gives me more of a reason to kind of tune in and keep my eye um, on that group C all one point. And um, as you said, the, defending champions in third at the moment, which is, which is interesting, but we will, uh, we'll see what happens with that group um, match day, come match day two and, and further on as well. So I guess that leaves us with the D group. Belgium and Iceland kicked us off going. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a game of two different halves because there was almost nothing to happen in the first half other than the one penalty miss. Um, but the second half, I feel like if either one of these two sides had the better game, it was Iceland. Shouts to um, Charlotte. She did mention that Iceland have a good setup, and we pretty much saw that. The player that caught my attention more than anything was um, number 23, um, John's daughter. She was making these forward runs. She was trying to get the ball into um, an attacking position. She even had chances herself. But at the You're end talking of the about day, Alicia her- Keys with the long throw-in? <laughs> sure let's call her that Wait, and tell me she doesn't look i thought she, I, I was like she looks so much like alicia keys got the same nose like but hey that girl was on fire oh she was really good and she has <laughs> a monster throw in she has a monster throw in I, I i think that's that's always a good thing iceland bringing back the monster throw at the euros that's always good but i agree good player good player She's a very good player. She's at Wolfsburg, probably the best team in the women's Bundesliga. And they do have a interesting setup there. Um, the first goal was scored by someone's daughter. Um, see, when it comes <laughs> to letters like that, like it's not even a proper P. It's just a line and then like a little indent. And then what? What is that last name for Belgium? Uh, I, I can use name. I can use your help, you guys. Give it a go. <laughs> Give it a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I have the pronunciation guide right, right here. Thank you for the wait got the cheat codes. Oh, man. I go Van Havermate. Van Havermate. According yeah, to you, Van Havermate. And then Thorvald's daughter. Thorvald's daughter. Yeah, I would have like Thorvald. Thorvald's the dad. Thorvald's daughter. And it's interesting with um, Icelandic name customs. Everyone in the med team is yep. something's son, someone's son. And everyone here is somebody's daughter. Um, yep. Very simple. Quick uh, and easy. Mm-hmm, but... <laughs> Very old world. Love to see it. Also, something else um, to bring it back. Um, <laughs> to bring it back, um, something Charlotte mentioned, Belgium need to get the ball to Tessa Wooler. They were having a little bit of difficulties in trying to do that. But um, second half, she did see more of the ball. She had more shots. But couldn't capitalize both these sides are trying to fight for that second spot because the way france italy went it looked like italy dropped off a bit from that second place running but the second half against france did show some signs of encouragement even though it was already five nothing at the half well i guess that's the lesson to yeah even though you have a game of two halves you cannot go that far behind right no that's just terrible to that's a fact. And 
if I were a manager, Ronnie, I think I'd spin it just like the way you did. I would try to take positives and say, hey, at least we turned up in the second half. Let's use that and do that match day too. But, you know, uh, yeah, in reality, that was an ass whooping from the jump. France came to play and Italy did not at all. Ass whooping of the week. <laughs> the one player that scored, and I was happy to see her score because she's going to be, she's one of the best young players in the world right now. And she's probably going to be, at this pace, one of the best in the world, period. Marie Antoinette Catoto. She scored the second of the five goals for France. Phenomenal stuff from her. And there was also a hat-trick, the first hat-trick of this competition. Yeah, no. So I heard this stat at halftime. France are the first team in Euros history to score five goals in the opening half. So maybe that's happened in the second half at some point. And, And... this is the first hat trick in the first half ever at the women's euros. So well done there. I, I will say, look, for France, it's also a problem to go up five nil for keeping everything super tight, right? What, what France did so well in the first half, they didn't give Italy any way out of their end. Every time they attacked, it was dynamic. It was really, really, uh, I mean, it, they were clinical. And then in defense, I think they were just razor sharp, weren't letting anything get by. Second half, Italy just rose their own game. I was personally really impressed with um substitute that came out, Aurora Gali. She uh, assisted the, the goal. I, look, Italy, I think, whatever the setup was, the manager made two switches at the half and changed the formation, and they pressed higher, I think they brought a lot more. They looked more probably themselves because I don't think France are five goals better than Italy. And I think Italy showed that in the second half. Now, France looked like it looked like Didier Deschamps took over and had a five nil lead and was like, drop in. Let's do a training session where we do a low to mid block and invite pressure. Because that, yeah. as, a, as a fan, I was like, just keep running, like switch the front players, keep them running. Agreed. Um, but I, 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 uh, not to cut you off, but I, I think. That's where France looked the most threatening, and you saw it in the first half. They were kind of ruthless in possession, made all the right passes, and in defense, they didn't let uh, Italy really, they didn't let them breathe at all. And in the second half, they, I guess, be it that you're, you're up five goals, they kind of took the pressure off the gas, and Italy kind of, with those subs and with their play, kind of picked it up a notch. And then you saw a, a more of an even match. If 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 it began in the second half, you could argue that Italy was the better was the better side. I will say this though, because there is always a what would have been. There's always a parallel universe, right? Uh, in this parallel universe, Italy actually take the lead really early on in this game because I don't remember who had a breakaway. Tries to go low, and the goal, French goalkeeper, she's very good. Okay, she made a huge save when it was nil nil. Few minutes later, France go and score, and they score again, and then it's bang, 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 bang. Look, France are a team. It's been well documented that there's not the harmony in the team is questionable. We don't really know if they can handle adverse situations. So if they go down one nil against Italy two minutes into the into their first game of the Euros, how do they react? Instead, they survive that because their goalkeeper is good. They onslaught Italy, and I think, no offense to the Italian goalkeeper the only one that has not impressed me in some way and yeah, she was responsible it. i think for a couple of those goals and some of the shakiness in that first half i don't i that just being said one one thing that i'll 
diverge on here. I've been impressed with every single goalkeeper I've seen. Every one of them can play out of the back. I've seen some really good saves in in, in every single game. We've talked about Manuela Zinsberger, just the commanding, right? Just being able to set your team out. And I think that what I got accustomed to watching the 2019 World Cup was the smaller teams had some hopeless goalkeepers, you know, and and it, it just it felt like okay, goalkeeper training is something that's not really done much in those in those countries and those federations yet. What we're looking at here is a bunch of extremely competent and very good keepers who are just on show every game. That's that's something little side note that I saw, but yeah, Italy they will be much better. I heard you guys in a previous episode with earlier in the week. You guys were talking about how this game it's pretty much a three way fight for third or for second place, and I think it's going to be a really good one because Belgium and Iceland they're not pushovers. Now I will say Belgium as well. If they connect well, because they had multiple situations where they went from the back all the way up to the front, just passing it nice and clean. They've got good patterns. If they can just create a few more of those I, I i think they can be a dangerous team but i like iceland and i love that crowd absolutely love that crowd they got the drums they do the claps they take over the stadium i mean it's only four thousand seven hundred seats but they you took know them, Dan, so. you know damn well if it were the largest <laughs> stadium the entire capacity of the city stadium was gonna pull up to a much larger yeah, stadium iceland iceland always comes up similar to uh eintracht frankfurt supporters they always pull up and they're always with the festivities. And so, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And one last point on France, I think, and you might have touched on it, is how clinical they were. Be it that they did have that breakaway save from the goalkeeper. As they always say, football is a game. A game of uh, fine margins, right? But they were so clinical. I think they took their shots on goal. They scored all but two. And, I mean, in a, in a, in a day like that, if you're in Italy, you kind of have to throw your hands up and say, I mean, everything they wanted, they got. And unfortunately, Italy wasn't up to the challenge, but... They're going to run through this group, it seems. Now, the big question is, we know they're going to do that. If they can get past the quarterfinal, Spencer has them to win this. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. They maybe could get us to a semifinal, but we'll see. That's really their question. Like, unless something wild happens against Belgium and Iceland. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally believe the French team is pound for pound, player for player, the highest quality team in the tournament with the most weapons. Up front, I mean, Sandy Baltimore came in late. I don't know if you guys have yes. seen, seen her before. She's she's she uh, coming off the bench, you know, uh, Delphine Cascarino, Diani. Diani goes by people and she'll take the ball from half field and go all the way down and get crosses in. Um, I really, I, I, my favorite player to watch is Karchawi, the left back. She just can dribble out of any situation. Uh, just, I mean, there's just so much talent in that France team that, yeah, if everything gets, if everything kind of sticks together. Um, oh yeah. And Selma Bacha, the young player who came on, uh, on the left wing. Th there's so much. And Wendy Renard, come on, the Fox. That's Ronald and Francis Fox. Um, she's just so so dominant uh, as a defender. Cuts out lots of balls, and every time they get a corner kick, I mean, it's you got someone who's six foot one, six two. That's one of the probably one of the tallest players in the competition. They have everything it takes. Now the question is, in difficult moments, 
I, I was thinking about the game that France lost in the Euros to Switzerland on the men's side, where they went up 3-1, and they were like, okay, we're balling, we got this. And they just started to sit off a little bit, and you know, you just grind. You keep grinding like Italy did today, and all of a sudden you're creating two, three chances to score. And so, yeah, that, that I think that's that's the big thing for France is can they keep their foot on the pedal when they need to and and properly beat teams with the talent they have? So far, Le Sommer and, and Amandine Henri, I mean, look, very good players, but the ones that are in there, not too shabby either. And I think that's a, there's a lot to be said about the talent pool available. So now it's up to Corinne Diak to actually manage it right and take the team as far as they can go. But definitely one of one in that group of favorites. Of course. Of course. No, good shot. Good shot. They got to stay hungry. They yeah, have and when to. you're 5 0 up at halftime, it's hard to be hungry in the second half. That's where you, you go. I would have done five subs, or I would have done four right at halftime. I'd be like, all right, that's it. New <laughs> yeah. blood. You go get your first goal. You go get your first goal. You. Uh, if if you don't play well, you're not playing at all in this tournament. So show me something, <laughs> and you would get that energy. You know what I mean? There you go. Yeah, up five nil. You better play well. I wonder how high the pressure would be. That love that. It's I love how the end of match day one fell on record day. So we'll keep an eye out on the rest of this competition. We already have our favorites. LV, you were not here last week. Um, you need to tell us who the favorite of yours. I love I love uh, Vivian Medem. I mean, the Dutch are, I guess, not necessarily an easy pick, but I, as much as I don't like Arsenal, I love her game. Um, so that makes me kind of want to go for them. But I will say I am really impressed with Germany, the way they came out and just, you know, just took no prisoners. It's between, yeah, exactly. So it's between, <laughs> it's between those for me. And I'm going to go with the one that's slightly less favored in Germany. I think I'm going to have – I got Germany winning it. A ninth euro. It. Yeah, they – I mean, they were – in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, they were upset by Denmark. And yeah. So, I mean, yeah. They've got – in the quarterfinals, I believe. So they've got some – I mean, they if, if they can go that far back, they got some chip on their shoulder. And, I mean, they had some doubters, as we said, us included. I mean, me included. Um, and they've got, they've got some people to prove wrong, and I got Germany. Let's see, let's see how they fare. Now, if they come out and do the opposite of what they what they did match day one and match day two, <laughs> things are subject to change. What do you always say, Ronnie? If facts change when the opinions change and facts change, that'll go. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That's it. That's the that, was, that was gonna be me for Spain, but the way they played against Finland, I'm, I'm I might stick to it. Um so that takes care of the women's Euro. Quick acknowledgement on CONCACAF's women's championship. USA are running through their group combined. 8 nothing in the competition, 5 on Jamaica, 3 on Haiti. They're in the World Cup. Canada and Costa Rica, pura vida. They're in the World Cup. Canada put up 6 on Trinidad's head top. And just one goal against Panama, courtesy of Julia Grosso, one of the young footballers on the rise, scoring the game-winning penalty in the shootout in the Olympic final. After her collegiate career ended, she made the jump to Juve. And she is very talented. I am, of course, a fan. Of course, I respect my Juve women as I do the men. And on the national team as well, she's the leading scorer in the CONCACAF championship. Costa Rica, they're by far the best team in Central America. And 
the last spot for CONCACAF is between Jamaica and Haiti, and they play each other on tomorrow. Um, you may or may not have heard this bit of the episode, but um, if I had to pick a favorite, it would probably be Jamaica. But the way Haiti played against Mexico was just outstanding. I have a question. What do you guys think about this? Alex Morgan put out a tweet that said like something like love the Euros or something like that, right? Do you think the American players look at the Euros and go, oh, man, I wish we had something like that here? Because, look, everyone gets the World Cup. Everyone gets the Olympics. That Those are both global competitions. But the continental competition, you know, the fact that the Euros are getting more and more popular, the crowds are getting bigger, and it's, you know, because it's a competition where multiple teams can win it, it's drawing eyeballs and sponsorship and all that stuff. CONCACAF women's not an easy sell when you have the United States and everyone else almost. I know Canada is a good side. I, I, I know that. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think that's, that some of these some of these American and probably top Canadian players think look at the Euros and just get kind of envious of what is building there in Europe? We just said it. The rest of Europe is caught up. So Euro 2017 and probably this Euro in particular might be the best Euro we've ever seen because... Every team, even the teams who are just happy to be there, have quality. With all due respect to some of the countries here in CONCACAF, the best player on Jamaica is Bunny Shaw. Haiti are pretty much made up of second division French players. Mexico, while their league is on the rise, they're just put up an embarrassment in the first two games of the competition. So I guess you could say it's a bit envious that, oh, we have the Euros, everyone is at their peak, and then here we still have developing nations. I will say that the AFCON, that has been a tournament full of quality, but to um, keep it specific to CONCACAF, uh, maybe. I think uh, if I'm someone like Alex Morgan, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm inquiring or I'm sending out tweets about, hey, let's make a Confederations Cup happen, you know, and that's where you can get a chance to sort of get a, get a Diet World Cup scenario where you can have this – these competitive matches and competitive experience against teams across the world and not call it the World Cup. Now, with regards to uh, a sort of a CONCACAF Nations League, I feel like, I mean, I wish we were there and I'm sure the players do as well, but I just feel like it, it, it'd be a two-legged race or two-horse race with Canada, if that, and the United States. And I think it'd be a be careful what you wish for scenario in that, you know, before you know it, the U.S., might not take it as serious, or they might use it as means to kind of, uh, being that they, they're so dominant, they might even begin to start using it as an experience to uh, get players off of the bench or up-and-coming, you know, uh, recruits, some game time in, in a competitive cup experience. But I feel like it, it, could start, it could start something and be good down the road. However, however where we are now, even the U.S. Uh, women's national team might get bored of it before they know it. This might be an advert for U.S. players in the NWSL to go, I mean, damn, like there's good crowds there. Like there's good, yeah. really good teams. You know, I could play in Europe, whereas a lot of them probably are like, there's no reason it's a step down. Whereas, you know, from what we're seeing, I think there, there may be some players who are watching this in the United States who are like, wow, okay. The idea of playing in Europe, all of a sudden more attractive just from seeing the competition, seeing the crowds. I, I, I just think it has a potential to be watershed like that, right? I always have that question. Like, I know, like, and it was for, you know, COVID purposes, 
where a lot more of players on the U.S. Women's National Team will play in Europe, Tobin Heath. She played, and she was pretty good at Arsenal. Lindsay Horan, she's at Olympic Lyonnais. Alex Morgan played for like two weeks at Spurs. Um, a day and a half, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Came in, got a shirt, and left. <laughs> but then you also have like the best, one of the best young Americans right now, Caterina Macario, playing at Lyon too. And I don't think she ever played in the NWSL, if I'm correct. But more Americans probably should be taking that, that advantage of hmm, going into Europe, going into the French League, the WSL. Um, not many Americans in Spain, so maybe that's a route as well, an untapped market. The fact that, you know, the idea of sort of some of the things that we have problems with the MLS in, in, in is in that this budding American team has experience in Europe. And I guess you can sort of say that it may take away from the stature of the MLS if they were to come up in the MLS and play well for the States and compete pretty well across the world. It'd be just a better look for the league as a whole. And with the NWSL, while I agree that, you know, it's 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 a, it's a good look for the player one and to build up some good experience, some some good competitive uh, play. I don't know, keeping things domestic props up the, the NWSL and, and, and kind of gives it that credibility that it deserves, if that makes any sense. I guess it does. Um, I mentioned the AFCON, and for the most part, that tournament has been pretty interesting. Uh, you have your occasional 4-1s in there or 3-1s, or in the case of Nigeria today against Burundi, 4 nothing. But you also have a lot of interesting games. The quarterfinal stage is set. Morocco, the host, they, they play Botswana, and Botswana has been an interesting story in and of itself. Cameroon plays Nigeria, Zambia, Senegal, and South Africa, Tunisia. All the winners are going to the World Cup. I would think whoever makes it out is deserving of a World Cup place because the way they've been playing in this AFCON has been obviously some of the best that I've seen. And I don't really know much about the African women's game like that. All I know is that the same way Germany dominated the women's Euro, Nigeria dominated the women's AFCON. We'll get into Zambia later, but they're a pretty good African women's footballing nation as well. All that's missing in, Af in the women's AFCON are crowds, except for games featuring Morocco, where they're always going to come off the host. These games have been pretty good. And then in Copa America, that shit just started. But the support is there in Latin America. The support there is improving. The way we saw the men have a finalissima, they agreed to do one for the women. So we'll see the Euro champion play the Copa America winner. So, and that tournament, again, it just started. Match day one was just yesterday, Saturday. Colombia had a good performance in their opener against Paraguay. And Venezuela, like I said, there were the dark horses. Unlike the men who never made the World Cup, they might make it on the women's side. And, again, deservingly, Sordena Castellanos is their headliner. She's at City now. So we will see how all that goes. And, again, everywhere else the women's game is up and coming. To bring it all the way back to what Sebastian first asked about CONCACAF being envious of the Euro. Um, yeah, but you got to work with what you have. And with what you have, in some places, it's really good. Copa America looks to be promising. AFCON is good. Congo Calf could be better. Could be better. <laughs> be a good way to, to uh, close that point off. Um, I mean, I expect it, if you're spending time watching the women's game out in Africa, good to put it on the radar. That's something I got to do a bit more of. Me, but the problem here is being sports. And that's the thing. And we've, 
we've dealt with being sports uh, in the men's AFCON at the top of the year, giving commercials midway, like as the match is on, what kind of disrespect is that? I mean, not They're doubling they, down. During the final, they did that. They did that during the final. I was Unbelievable. furious. First of all, they, they, they put a boring-ass league on game in favor of that. Like, come on, man. Where, where does that make any sense? I mean... <laughs> Hey, well, there goes our bean sports rant. There goes our bean sports rant. Yeah, that could be uh, bean sports, the enemy of the football misfits. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, but, uh, but with that being said, um, I think we're at the point now where we can skip transfer rumors this week, unless you guys really want to get into it. I'm good on those. I'm I'm more of an official news guy. I like the jersey being held up, like oh, handshakes, yeah. like I, I, rumors. Rumors. Are, so here's one of the things like rumors are fun when they're like real, but there's so much about the way this stuff works. That is just agents dropping stories, talking yes. to reporter. Hey, you know, there's so much like, OK, look, a guy like Marco Asensio is a free agent right now. There are Paulo Dybala. There are a lot of free agents that are just, yes. I mean, Usman Dembele. Right. So and, and what you'll go a week where all you do is you hear about, you know, Everyone's talking about Raheem Sterling right now. For some reason, people decided to think N'Golo Kante was going to go to Arsenal over yeah. my dead body. Chelsea did that. <laughs> Tuchel would uh, never man. do that. Tuchel said at the very end of the season, our most important player, our best player is N'Golo Kante, and we don't have him. We're not the same team. So, yeah, let's Fly just drop him off at Arsenal. And this rumor has <laughs> been making the rounds for like three days. And I've been like, are you kidding? Like, yeah, you know, so a lot of stuff is is. And I, I don't know. I, I love transfer gossip, like reading it, but it's it's actually when you read the the blurbs, there's some that you're like, I I buy that this is actually in the works, and there's some where you're like, this is a, like someone on social media who just got a tweet that blew up or something like that, and and everyone's like, oh my god, it's gonna happen. Um, so like Ronaldo to Chelsea, you don't my, buy my mo The most interesting is Ronaldo. Wherever Ronaldo goes to me is the most interesting thing at this point. It's hilarious yeah. because, <laughs> I mean, this is – he's like daddy man you. He came back and he's like, look, I tried to provide for a little while, but these kids are just – they're just ill-disciplined. <laughs> None of them have the hunger. Yeah. I'm out of here. And he's like, it, I'm gonna find a new family. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, uh, he's like, I'm gonna keep it real with you guys. Uh, Europa League, it's it's bad for my bad. It's bad for business. It's bad for the Ronaldo business. Can't do it, guys. I won't do it. It's, which, it's which tells you he is not going to the MLS. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if he's if he's that hung, hungry allegedly to play Champions League football, you know, yeah, exactly. But but <laughs> yeah, it's just to wrap things up, of course. Um, there is a, a little known segment. I was gone for a week, but I forget, Ronnie. I think it's, I think it's that time. Would you agree? Hmm. Um, I see your trip to North London didn't mess with your sense of time. Mm -hmm. So, or my sense of smell, yeah, which you regained. Congratulations. Um, I believe it is that time. Yes, and we are smelling some bullshitty. Yes, of the week brought to you by nobody. Yeah, you thought. All right. Um, it looks like both of our BSs of the week, yours and mine, Ronnie, are in on the continent of Africa, unfortunately. But you start, take the serious one, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll finish it up with some, some absolute bullshit. So. Long-time listeners of the Footy Misfits, I'm glad we are at that point where we could say that, know that we followed the 2020 Olympics 
which were played in 2021, and the women's football competition. Um, one of our favorite players, and I believe she said we were stands for this one player, was Zambian striker Barbara Banda. That's right. She that's was one of the players that we were looking forward to seeing at this AFCON. Put up goals like crazy at the Olympics. She was linked to a move to Real Madrid. So more eyes on her in the future. But it was reported that she would have to miss the Africa Cup of Nations. At first for medical purposes. Like, okay, what's going on? Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's like upset stomach or whatever. Instead failed a hormone suppression treatment test. This is very touchy here. Um, nasty stuff is what it is. Very nasty. The most recent high-profile case that I can remember was, I believe it was in 2015 at the World Athletics Championships in Berlin, where you had the one South African runner. Caster Semanya. Caster Semanya, yeah. There you go. Two-time or three-time gold medalist. Her... Gender identity got brought into question because of these testosterone levels. And people were critical of the IAAF at the time. And now it's veered its ugly head back and now it's into football. Um, the Zambian FA said they are working towards a long-term solution to what they feel is stringent testosterone testing that ruled out Banda for the AFCON. And she's actually one of four players to see the, their AFCON cut short before it even began. The communications director of the Zambian FA, Sydney Mungala, said, the Barber case is just one example, but the broader picture is to strive to see how these regulations can be more reasonable for the general solution, not just Zambia. Many players can be affected by these regulations, and football is their livelihood. I think the CAF regulations are a lot more stringent than Olympic regulations, and they put too much stress on testosterone levels. Yeah, uh, uh, I will say real quick, I mean, as far as a, the footballing perspective goes, I haven't seen much about it. Um, there is a really good episode of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel and HBO that detailed what Kasia Simanya, the South African runner, went through, and a number of african athletes women athletes go through and the practices and the rules and regulations seem to be very discriminatory they seem to be very vague and they also as alleged by uh you know attorneys that uh represented these athletes um they all they also are based not in necessary not necessarily in fact and by studies that have been done by the iaf and the olympic committee that they refuse to sort of disclose uh and allow independent researchers to study and then come up with their own tests as well just to kind of verify and authenticate these uh tests that they're using to say that uh you know women who have higher levels of testosterone are just better or unfairly have an advantage against women that have less levels of testosterone so very discriminatory and often and this isn't this isn't just um like you know completely one way but from what i've seen um, not on the football level, but you know, in terms of just the uh, athletics level. Um, it's been mostly African athletes that have been labeled and sort of attacked in these in these manners, saying that they're too big and manly and strong and they're not women enough to, to compete against other women. 
And uh, I have yet to see other cases of, you know, be it people from all over the world. I'm sure there are, but it seems to be the focus seems to normally be against African athletes that compete at a very high level. Definitely a form of discrimination. Despite Barbara Banda not being there, Zambia are still doing pretty well in the AFCON, but that's not the point. The point is your star striker can't be here because her testosterone levels are too high. I honestly, genuinely do not get it. It's a terrible stigma labeled to these players. Um, these rules have to change, be more lax, whatever it is, for someone like a Barbara Banda, who could probably have been the top scorer here, participate. And it's just utter bullshit that it's not, that she can't participate because of stringent hormone testing. But Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. Um, I had to bring it here. Um, like we said, um, Barbara Banda was one of our favorites at Tokyo. When they were already getting ass whooped by the Netherlands, Barbara Banda came out with a hat trick of her own. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Somehow she brought Zambia back in after being down 10-1. Okay. But um, speaking <laughs> of 10-1s and lopsided results, LV, take this from here take the wheel oh excellent transition and i'm more than happy to lift the mood here uh <laughs> with my bs of the week because oh boy is it bs oh my god all right unfortunately we do have to stay on the continent of africa for this um and it's on the club level in the country of sierra leone now if you're looking at the news earlier this week you might have seen uh two teams in Sierra Leone who were hoping to be promoted uh, to the their Premier League. Um, I believe they uh, were playing in their final, <laughs> were playing in their final match day. Uh, two teams, Golf FC and the uh, Kahunla, I believe, Kahunla Rangers. Um, both teams tied on points, hoping to be promoted into the first division. Uh, they would play matches at the same time. I believe it was on Sunday um, last week. And they're tied on goal difference. This is the key here. I guess any uh, casual football fan watching would say, all right, they're tied on points. They're tied on GD. One team's got to win and score more. Otherwise, they'll go to, through the other tie-breaking factors. And we don't even want to deal with that. So, <laughs> as I said, both teams played at the same time. And uh, I guess the main point of focus here was that it seemed to be two competitive matches, right? Gulf FC, I believe, was up at halftime, 2-0, a fair score, fair score, if you will, yes? Uh, and uh, the Kunla Rangers at this point were up 7-1. So it looked like they were going to be promoted based on that, you know, huge goal difference there. They scored enough. Well, both teams, I guess, uh, took it upon themselves to say, you know what, we should get some extra insurance goals just to make sure, because we don't know the score of the other team that's playing and is tied with us. But we just want to make sure that we score more than them. So you know what they did? Come out the second half and they scored. <laughs> uh, the uh, Golf FC went ahead and uh, scored. <laughs> and they scored more goals than they were minutes in a game. They scored, they scored more goals in one match than Messi scored in a calendar year to break a record, mind you. <laughs> I'm just going to give you the full-time scores. Mind you, halftime, 2-0 and 7-1 respectively. The match is finished. Golf FC 91-1 to against Coquima Lebanon. 
and Lumenbu United beating 95 nil. 95. What are these basketball results? <laughs> they went ahead and scored. No, no, this is this is the score when you play against your nephew in FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you just scoring own goal after own goal. Inhumane. Yeah, I mean, I'd call this an ass whooping, but the Sierra Leonean FA uh, is saying, hey, this is a bit suspect. How did you guys both score a record number of goals in just a half of football? This, uh, I think we should go under investigation. Now, I've uh, I've searched the internet, left, right, and center, for any footage of this match. There's nothing in sight. I've looked at Sierra Leonean uh, football Facebook groups. I'm on Twitter. I'm looking at WhatsApp, everything. Not a single single clip of this match aired however somehow some way two rec two record-breaking earth-shattering performances uh 90 plus goals in both matches one team had to score 83 goals uh, in the second half to to reach their final result and the other team scored 93 93 goals so something i mean to me the first thing you say and the first thing that anybody says uh somebody got some explaining to do now the uh, SLFA uh, said, and I quote, the results were impractical and they promised zero tolerance of any quote unquote match manipulation. Now, it, it is uh, alleged that the, the the directors of football and the general managers of these teams are saying, I'm not I'm not privy to any uh, match fixing going on here. <laughs> Just as if to say their team had a hell of a game. I mean, what in the world? <laughs> Um, absolutely, uh, just just kind of, I guess being Stevie Wonder to it. Just I don't I, I didn't see anything. I don't know what happened. You know, it, it could have. They just played a good match. What are you What are you gonna say? I mean, I've never seen ninety plus goals, but hey, I mean, it gets us promoted. So what? You're uh, averaging two goals a minute per ninety minutes on average. And they did the most of the scoring in the second half, mind you. So mm. somebody was informed. I don't know. <laughs> you know, let them tell it. So. Um, <laughs> BS of the week, just for the fact that, all right, if you're going to go match fixing, I can't respect it, but do it in a way that I can respect. Be clean about it. Whoever thought that scoring 80 and 90 goals in, in just a half was going to go under the radar? Like it, like it was going to work? <laughs> Who's like, Who's that? Who made this plan? I was like, yo, you know what we're going to do? You know what will work? If we scored 80 plus goals, there's no way they'd know. Incredible stuff. Outlandish stuff. BS of the week. Both of those teams, Gulf FC, Colonel yeah. Rangers, and anybody associated with them, just come on, do it better next time. Do better. No one's th these are both really, really good. Uh, here's here's what I'll say: Chris Kavanaugh uh, and his getting his ruddy fingers all over the game today might be has to come second for me. I spent the whole time listening to you guys thinking, "What really is my?" No, I'm settling on this. And Golo Conte to Arsenal, BS of the week. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I had to agree. Where did that rumor come from? Short and sweet and to the punch. Why would that ever happen? BS of the week. BS of the week. Excellent maybe stuff. maybe he wants like fresher tires on the Mini Cooper and he wants Chelsea to help out with that. I there you know. go. Maybe he's sick of people asking him yeah. to say thank you and it sounds like fuck you. Maybe he's getting so tired of that over at Stanford Bridge. I don't know. <laughs> what could it possibly be? Um, but yeah, that being said, another great episode in the books, uh, Ronnie. Before before uh, these Sierra Leonean teams score any more goals, do you want to go ahead? You want to go ahead and sign the boys off? They're at ninety right now. I don't know. Who knows? Hey man, Edge and Cole got some planning to do as well. 
I sent this to him. I'm like, boy, what what is this? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> You're like, what are y'all doing? I don't get it. Um, real quick, Sebastian, where can we listen to your pod? Campfire football pod. Where you get your podcast, and then I post more stuff on Instagram. Haven't ventured I... into TikTok yet. I'm, I don't know. It feels risky. Feels risky. If I ever want to go to China, I really should. I should be careful. There you go. Get in the algorithm. Do some dancing. <laughs> um. I mean, go full Robert Lewandowski, right? The big smile. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. We actually got to work on our TikTok presence, if that's the thing. LV is more TikTok savvy than I am, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> we thank you all for listening to episode 102 of the Football Misfits podcast. We thank you all for listening and contributing with all of your likes and interactions, including Tessa Wooler of the Belgian national team. We will see you all on episode 103, and that is around the corner. For Sebastian and LV, I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Adios, mi gente. Peace. Tiny fan